1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet, download the WinBet app now, or visit wynnbet.com to start winning.
2: Biggest takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals, that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Twitter at yardspergretsch. You can find my Stealing Signal Substack at Uh With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work. at wrote of his Zero RB Watch. Wrote of his overtime. Really excited um, for how you guys are doing in one of your best ball leagues. That's uh, been a blast to follow. Sean, we got through the semifinals. We had some fun fancy performances I thought this week especially relative to week 15 which was an absolute I always want to say a bad word but I, I don't think I'm supposed to swear I wrote it, it was radio um this is a family show but it was it was bad in week 15 week 16 was a little bit better but also bad I mean we had like Monday night football was I I think the worst game of the year there's been a lot of bad games but that was I think the worst game of the year Ian book was bad. But we got some good fantasy performances. We're heading to the fantasy championship week. How are you doing? Been doing pretty well, pretty well. It's hard not to be excited.
3: You mentioned the best ball team, Column and I, with Blair Andrews, are into the final 12 for the $100,000. And, yeah, I mean, when you you feel like you're one week away from something that could be really cool, it's hard not to be – pumped up. I know that you have a very high stakes league in which your team did extremely well. Our teams did all right this past week. Um, And one of the reasons why the best ball team got through is the same reason that some of our teams looked good. I wanted to ask you, so I went through it in the Monday article, right? Joe Burrow drafted as the QB 13 basically he's been the QB 12 he's finished ahead of a couple guys he was drafted behind he's finished behind Kirk Cousins or was behind Kirk Cousins going into this week these are numbers going into the obvious explosion and yet even though he was doing what he was supposed to do and he offered some scoring in the QB window that we talk about for best ball he offered some QB scoring late that allowed you and I to execute a lot of the things we wanted to do structurally, You know, get the wide receivers, get the elite tight end, come back with some of the top zero RB options before going with then the late zero RB options after the QBs. All of that was fantastic. And yet it was hard not to be extremely disappointed with how Joe Burrow and the Bengals performed this season. And one of the reasons it was so hard not to be disappointed was that what they did in week 16, just felt like in so many ways what we should have seen a little bit more of this year. You've got Jamar Chase, you've got T. Higgins, which in week 17 he showed like why I was so ridiculously high on him in the preseason. You know, had him overranked, all that kind of thing. Very uh, much the case that I was too high on him. I'll say that up up front. They also have Tyler Boyd, who had the big game here, actually was one very near catch away from a monster game. And, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth about it. We've talked about it on the show previously. But even though his collegiate wide receivers probably made him look better than he was that last year at LSU, he came out as the number one pick, did things with Cincinnati that Trevor Lawrence hasn't gotten you know, in the same universe as doing with the Jaguars this year, he's been good. I mean, Joe Burrow may not be a superstar, but he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. When you have those wide receivers, how come we haven't seen more? So Now we have two 400-yard plus games against the Ravens, but where's this bet against everybody else?
2: Yeah, we talked about it a lot on the show that this is how this offense should work. And you know what's really interesting, I thought, this week that I talked about Stealing Signals was what it meant for Joe Mixon, of all people, who we have not been particularly high on, but the, their willingness to throw as much as they did created so much uh, scoring opportunity. They put up 41 points in this game that Joe Mixon winds up with six green zone touches, which is a huge number for any running back in a game. Uh, he also, because of the massive passing volume and the fact that his snapshot jumps all the way back up over 80%. in this one it was the highest for him from a snapshot perspective since week 2 he it's been kind of up and down and around at times and a little bit banged up at times, but also just, you know, seated snaps at times in the passing game. Hasn't really been consistent um, in terms of, you know, how much he's playing. This was a, you know, a, a game where he was very, very involved. And because of that, in a game where they throw 46 times, he catches six balls as well. So, he you know, he gets both sides of the high value touch spectrum, scores on the ground, scores through the air, has this a huge game that he wasn't the focal point of. And so it's, it's you know, I, I, I'm i leaning from that perspective. It's not the, the side of the offense that, that we care about, but... That I think is like such clear evidence of how this is the way that the offense should run. When they try to make Joe mix in the focal point and hand him the ball 28 times and just do all these runs, you know, the low value touches for him and everything. He's had some good games doing that. He's also had some games that have been poor and the whole offense has looked poor. And then you have this game where they come out and they throw with intent. Like we talked about all year, they're throwing a lot in the first drive. They're throwing a lot in the first half they're scoring points because of that. And then, you know, as they get way ahead, they continue to throw and, and you know, they're throwing into the fourth quarter in a game that they have a, a comfortable lead on, but it wasn't all the way out of the uh, the question yet. Uh, they took back over early in the fourth quarter up 34 to 21. And they had a drive here. Their first drive of the fourth quarter where they threw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven eight times in a row, the whole drive, all eight plays were pass plays up 13 points early in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's good coaching. I'm sorry, but like, that's what we've been asking for all year. I'm saying, I'm sorry because there are people that are like that think a lot of, a lot of people are too on the passing game, but when you have an advantage in the more efficient side of, of the, of the game, it's working. There are too many coaches that then come into a shell and say, And we're up 13 points here. There's 14 minutes left in the game. We're going to run some clock. We need to, you know, we can't afford three incompletions in a punt here. We need to run the ball. And then what ends up happening is they get three runs in a punt. They run a couple minutes off the clock, but they turn the ball back over with 12 minutes left in the quarter. They're only up 13 points. Now you have a game if the Ravens go down and score. And Tyler Huntley is playing well. You know, Mark Andrews is absolutely
3: destroying teams. You have Marquise Brown who can. Uh, lift the lid you've got Rashad Bateman playing better again I mean this is a game where if you do the wrong thing as you just mentioned yeah I mean it gets to be like a six point lead in a hurry and suddenly there's pressure and you're starting to I wouldn't say choke but you know when you've already kind of taken the foot off the gas and then you're trying to decide okay well now we're up six what do we do here you know you bring the opposing defense back into a little bit more and Ben, the other thing here is they attack deep, right? And one of the things that was kind of encouraging early in the season was that when the offense was struggling, you know, Jamar Chase, rookie, you're thinking, okay, well, this is a guy who doesn't really have a full sense of the NFL game yet. You know, how seriously can we take him? But he was talking about the fact that those guys could get behind the defense and that trying to neutralize the pass rush, which has been a problem for them, right? I mean, Joe Burrow has had a lot of pass plays interrupted and they've had a lot of drives stalled because he gets sacked. So you not only lose that play, obviously, but then at the next play, you're in a much more difficult down-and-distance situation. Chase has been saying, instead of trying to neutralize the pass rush with quick passes, we've got to get behind the defense and make them cover the whole field. I mean, Joe Burrow throws a pretty deep ball. He's got unbelievable deep receivers. Chase with that speed, Higgins with the size. We've even seen Tyler Boyd get deep several times recently. I'm I'm an enthusiast. I'm an optimist. I've been a believer in this team. You see this game. And when you think about if they can over the next 12 months and even kind of looking across this decade, build this offensive line a little bit, I mean, are we going to see a bunch more games like this? Because, I mean, if the Bengals do develop a decent offensive line, how would you deal
2: with this team? Super promising game from that perspective, I would say, I mean, we know burden coming to this game, uh, this season healthy. Uh, And so that explains sort of the first month. I mean, if we, if we break up this season, they started to throw a little bit more Then they went away from it for a little bit. And sometimes you have some struggles, you, you know, you have some issues. You maybe try to establish the run for a few weeks, whatever. But we, we get to this point in the season where they come into this game, needing to beat this Ravens team in a, in a close AFC North. and, importantly, I've been getting T Higgins going lately. And so, you know, Higgins wasn't really necessarily going big early in the year. And so you can wonder if that influenced the pass run, right? They don't feel like they're at full strength or whatever, but they go into this huge game and they obviously have a game plan that they're going to throw to win. And I think that is very promising. Um, You know, with Zach Taylor there and everything else that they seem to see at least by now, uh, what, what we saw and, I mean, I, I think it's very promising for them going into the playoffs. I think it's, you know, they're probably not real Super Bowl contenders. Although, I mean, I, I don't think it would be that crazy for them to win a playoff game or two or and start to make some noise. Do you have an AFC team other than the Chiefs that you like better than the Bengals yeah. after this last week?
3: I mean, just a week ago with that close yeah. Chiefs-Chargers game, we were thinking the Chargers are right there, and then they managed
2: to lose in a pretty embarrassing fashion to the Houston Texans. I can't even explain that as far as uh, – a you know, a letdown game goes, you can't have that. You just lost to the Chiefs. You, you There's no moral victory for you playing the Chiefs tough. And you had that on a Thursday night. So you had an extra, you know, you had 10 days. It's like, in my opinion, not really a classic letdown spot in the sense that they had a little time to get over that Chiefs game and then refocus and say, okay, now we got to close the season strong and, and finish well against some some inferior teams. They have three winnable games at the end of the year, this Texans game, and then two more uh who was at it? uh broncos and raiders to close their their season you got to win all three of those games and, and get yourself the best you know playoff position as you can and all of that but they came in so flat but yeah no i the the bangles i think are you know right there the bills are there. there there's you know there's a few teams the the patriots maybe still but the Bengals look Fantastic. I think they're the best team in the AFC North, which is really surprising. I mean, I think early in the year you were already talking about them potentially winning this division. I'm thinking, okay, the Browns are a good team, the Ravens are a good team, the Steelers haven't looked good, but they can be a good team. But I, I wouldn't say any of those teams right now are better than the Bengals, right? No, I, I wouldn't think so. the The Browns had a really disappointing
3: result again, and the the disconnect now that continues to emerge between Kevin Stavansky and Baker Mayfield. Once you're back to square one at QB, then you're just, you're not really realistically in it. Even if you have some of the other strong pieces that the Browns have. It'll be interesting now because we go into a game that I might have more anticipation for than any regular season game in a long time where, you know, Chiefs, Bengals now, where Kansas City with the Titans, Really roaring back on the back of AJ Brown, you know, looking superhuman in the you know second and third quarters of that game, the fourth quarter with the, the touchdown there to put them up. You have got a situation where the Chiefs have to keep winning, and yet the Bengals need to win that game badly to you know further establish themselves, cement themselves in a, in a decent spot going into the playoffs. Here, that bye looks like it'll be pretty important in the AFC. The Bills, the other interesting game here, I I suggested. and I have a a tendency to be enthusiastic about some of these individual performances where a sleeper has stuck in the NFL and then finally comes through. Am I crazy, Ben, to think that the Bills now, I mean, number one, they've got Devin Singletary going, and he's my guy, you know, probably against... A good reason at points but he's really playing got great peripherals in the advanced stat explorer if you're interested jump in there and, and see some of the things that he's doing i've mentioned that it's not always the defensive front you know if you're if your offensive line isn't blocking then you're still going to be encountering guys in the backfield he's making guys miss he's extending plays but the bills and, and we haven't seen this whole thing obviously because gabriel davis is out this last week but the bills with a sort of a three wide receiver set of Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie, I feel like is the type of group that could actually beat some of these defenses that have given them so much trouble all season. We know Gabriel Davis is the red zone threat. He's the touchdown scorer. And then McKenzie looked like a massively supercharged version of Cole Beasley in this game. He's targeted a little bit deeper than Beasley usually is and just so much more explosiveness, You know, getting the ball after the catch, ability now you know you can say it's just one game he did have a big game last year in week 17 when he was given a chance we know he's fantastic with the ball in his hands in that week 17 game last year in addition to the two receiving touchdowns he also had a kick return touchdown i mean this guy can make some plays now he gets the full run in a game where the Bills didn't have any other choice he looked great and stefan Diggs comes through and actually looks pretty good as well we're starting to get a little bit of the 2020 version of Diggs and out of nowhere, Josh Allen, you know, back on top in terms of quarterback scoring.
2: Yeah, and Allen missed digs on one early where he had him in the back of the end zone. He did find digs for a touchdown later, but the early miss was a little bit of a bummer because it was one of the only misses Allen had in this game. He looked really good. Um, he ended up hitting McKenzie, I believe, on fourth down to cap that that drive uh, early in the game where he missed digs on, I think, second down. Um, but yeah, Diggs is, is looking better. I agree. You know, getting open and, and he's had a lot of uh, near miss touchdowns. I mean, we've had, we've had several receivers that we've said this about all year, but I know there was a game earlier this year. I was talking about Diggs could have had a three touchdown game pretty easily. And I think he ended up with none or maybe one he's particularly in the red zone has been, has been open a few times and not been hit, but excited for, you know, the, at least the way that he's been playing lately, it's obviously been a little bit of a disappointing season in terms of at least my expectations coming in. We we talked this offseason. I was very, very high on Diggs and felt like he had a chance to be the overall wide receiver one. That that type of upside has not come to fruition, but he has been strong um, in top 10 at the position, which, you know, it's a, it, it's a miss, but, you know, that's one of the reasons we do look at receivers early is like, a lot of times they are just these minor misses, which don't necessarily kill you. Obviously there's been some others that have been a little bit bigger misses in the, in the early range or wide receiver, but you kind of caught me on that a couple last week or the week before that I was kind of talking about Diggs as if he was a bigger miss than he was. He he hasn't, he hasn't been bad this year by any means. He's
3: still right in there. And if you have Diggs and you have the right other pieces, one of the things that was very interesting I thought in looking at the rosters of these 12 teams that are into the final 12 for the FFPC $100,000 best ball contest is that you do have some interesting guys. Number one, you know, there's a, there's a Travis Kelsey team or Tyree kill team. Obviously those guys didn't put up points last week. We have an Alvin Kamara team in there. Kamara's struggled, missed some games. There are multiple Dalvin cook teams, even though he was out last week. And so, you know, you still do have to have, or, it helps to have the the big overall roster that's well-constructed. That's one of the reasons why we talk about structural drafting so much and give yourself a little bit of leeway. If you drafted Diggs but still drafted a good overall team, you're going to do a nice job. Diggs was the first round pick on our Chasing stolen Bananas teams that we did with Pat and Pete, and that team did a nice job, finished second, really only missed out on first in in terms of my – Analysis of this. I'm sure the first place team would also suggest that maybe there were some that they would have outscored us anyway, but it was the Kyler Murray injury that really hurt us there. We didn't have a great access to secondary QB points, but that team still did nicely because of the overall build that it had this Chiefs Bengals game interesting because Kansas City's defense has been so good as of late. Pulling up, you can pull up any of the Bengals receivers in the NFL player weekly explorer and kind of see there are a variety of tabs here. You can look at all the things they've done. You can also look at their matchups. One of the cool things that we'll give you is the opposing defense over the last five games. We can see that the top players on opposing teams have been held down over the last five weeks. The Chiefs are number one in terms of expected points against their number 32 in fantasy points over expectation. So if you're a big believer in selling efficiency kind of either way on that, you say, okay, well, I like the fact that teams have to pass against the chiefs and I feel confident in what the Bengals could do, but Kansas city's defense has been pretty tough. And uh, listeners probably know that I was born in Kansas city, have been to tons of chiefs games at Arrowhead stadium. I'm a huge chiefs fan and yet I do go through through stretches where I get actually a little bit frustrated when the defense is better because I'm rooting for shootouts and we haven't really gotten that with the Chiefs recently. Their defense has been good enough that they have not had to attack in the second half of games. Now I also just to sort of as a little bit of a digression here, I wanted to congratulate you on what was really an extraordinary season in the Scott Fishbowl, led for big chunks of it, had an extremely high scoring team. You had an amazing score in week 15. Week 16 was a huge cut down. Uh, we have a his OT listener who I know has been kind of messaging you and column and uh, Pat and Pete about sort of his zero RB team that did make it through. So that's pretty exciting. You go out this week, but I mean, that's going to happen sometimes in huge tournaments where you've got to be at the top. In any particular week you had an amazing team it was led by a, a ton of good players but one of the tandems was patrick mahomes and tyreek hill hill didn't come through for you this past week in part because of the COVID situation and them probably trying to bring him back slowly but also in part because the chiefs simply did not need him they're
2: shutting teams down yeah they're playing great defense yeah this got fishbowl i mean what a, what a fun contest and and we obviously have so much respect and appreciation for everything Scott does uh, to run that contest for the fantasy community. And then also obviously for the fantasy um, for the FF cares program and, and the toys for tots drive and all the good that it does in the community. Um, that's, that's really what that's all about. It's fantastic. It is a, you know, a, a contest from a, from a structure perspective where you have to have a lot of upside in these final two weeks because uh in week 15, you cut down in your conference from 26 teams that are still alive at that point to 10. And then in week 16, it's just the top one that wins your conference that moves on. And then in week 17, you know, all the conference winners, there's 20 conferences. They're all going to go to get, go at each other this coming week. And it will again be, you know, the top one that wins the the title. So you have to basically win these, um, you know, these GPPs two weeks in a row. I, I finished fourth this week in in the top 10. The week before, when it cut down to 10, I had uh, I had the top score by about 25 points. So, you know, you wish you had that ceiling game in in week, and that was in a lower-scoring week, but did not get that ceiling game. Part of the reason was those stacks you mentioned. I had, I had the Stafford Cup and the Mahomes Hill. Stafford got negative points in this format because you get big negatives for interceptions. He threw three picks. So that was a big hit. And then, you know, Mahomes had a big game, but Hill didn't come along with him. So not getting those stacks to hit. I mean, the reason I had the stacks was because of the volatility. You need to be able to have the ceiling this week and next week to win this thing. Uh, Loved that team. It was a fun team. It was probably the closest team I'll have to, to being able to win. It's interesting, even with those stacks doing so poorly and Stafford getting negative in one of my QB slots, to still have been uh within shouting distance really I mean we talked last week about some of my decisions I had Rex Burkett and I didn't play him uh had I played him I still would not have been able to win unless I played him over Stafford which I would have never done I was cons- I joked with you last week
3: about you know whether or not you were embarrassed to have him on your roster not mentioning that I picked him up and played him in one of my dynasty finals yeah,
2: so. <laughs> yeah that's great real 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 nice Sean you got me thinking that it was ridiculous to play him and then you went out and played him that's just awesome <laughs> No, I was considering him uh, up until Sunday. I was also – I wound up benching Boyd. Boyd has the 17-point game, and I played t- Tony Pollard for both of those guys, in part because I also had Jarrett Patterson, and I wanted to see if Antonio Gibson would be active and uh, on Sunday Night Football, which, you know, probably wouldn't um, – if Gibson would have been inactive, it probably wouldn't have been that much better of a game for Patterson because Washington got crushed so, so bad. But – um you know, if I'd gone with Burkett or Boyd, I, I wouldn't have made the difference on this team. I would have had to find a way to get them both in my lineup and bench someone else. And it, it is it is frustrating to look at it because it's a good roster, even without the you know the stacks hitting. I had a you know 120 points on the bench. I still had 160 something points in my lineup with Debo and Jeff Wilson and Diggs and Alexander Madison is on this roster. And Mahomes had a good week, and Zach Ertz was my tight end had a good week. So I, it was a team that I felt like if I could get through. Definitely had a shot to be the top team out of 20 teams next week. But won't get that chance. That's the way it goes. But, yeah, we were talking about the the Chiefs. Um, obviously, I'm a little bummed about this. You know, it's a it's a free league, but it's it's a bragging rights league, man. This will probably be the closest, the best team I'll, I'll ever have, and it's got Fishbowl, I think. So probably the closest I'll ever get to to really taking it down. It would have been fun. But uh, the Chiefs defense has been fantastic. They're... They didn't need Hill, obviously. I mean, I, I was watching them too for this stack, really hoping that it would blow up and give me a chance to make up. I was already trailing at that point in in the Scott Fish Bowl, and it was definitely one of the leagues I was I was paying attention to. And and Hill just wasn't even on the field. You know, it, it seemed clear they had such a such control of Pittsburgh's offense that they weren't gonna push him, you know, in his first game back. Or he didn't miss a game, did he? But he uh obviously was on the COVID list, didn't practice it seemed like they just did not think physically that he needed to be pushed much more than than he was and he didn't play even half the snaps. Byron Pringle winds up with the big game. Obviously Kelsey was out and Hill barely playing plays a big role in that. You know, I'd say to anyone who's thinking about Byron Pringle that things are going to be a little different when those other guys are in the in the lineup obviously. But it will be interesting to see this game with the Bengals this week. I think the Bengals the roaming as much as they did has me really optimistic. they I was just looking at the standings. They only need to win one of their final two because they now have beaten the Ravens both times. Uh, the Browns are two games back. The Steelers, with their tie, are a game and a half back, so neither of them can get to 10 wins. The Bengals are already at nine wins. The Ravens are the only other team that can get to 10 wins, but they do have that head-to-head tie with the Ravens. There's no way that there could be a three-way tie or anything. And so the, the Bengals are going to win the North if they win one of these two games. And I think that's maybe, you know, the, their final game is at the Browns. But I think that's maybe, I don't know, a little freeing in some respects in the sense that it is, a you know, probably feels like a must-win game, but it also isn't actually a must-win game. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just grasping for straws here, but I feel like they have all the incentive in the world to come out and throw again. They had all the success last week come out and really see what happens and if things go really poorly like they're coming off a big win that wouldn't be the end of the world if you lose to the Chiefs but man I just hope they come out and throw 40 times again because that's that would make this game really fun
3: yeah that's definitely what we're looking forward to this week then we'll talk about some running back developments and what people might be looking for in their fantasy championships right after the break
1: nfl football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find nfl tickets anymore because tech that's t-i-c-k-p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for nfl tickets tech got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their nfl tickets Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out. For the Packers, whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game, whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, Tick pick has you covered. Visit tickpick.com slash rotoviz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is tickpick.com slash rotoviz.
3: I know that you have been out there sledding and and making snowmen and what have you with this uh, wonderful snow you've gotten there in Seattle. Seahawks, Rashad Penny, the Seahawks managed to lose, which seemed impossible. They must have had a win probability at almost 100 through a big chunk of the second half of this game. They do lose, but Rashad Penny in the snow slicing through everybody bouncing off tacklers extending these runs creating big plays he is a guy who has the size speed combination on those rare stretches of games when he's healthy and it's kind of interesting i mean anytime you pull up a player's best stretch and for penny sometimes this is his only stretch they're going to look good you know during the good time periods but in this last month he's in this top group in terms of evasion rate the other guys in that group you've got the Browns running backs, you've got Javante Williams, you've got Herbert who has actually a touchdown in this game as well, Devin Singletary, Uh, Rashad Penny has been the best at creating extra yards when he does break tackles, his yards before and after contact are fantastic, that's how you end up with those good overall yards per carry numbers, but so much of what we've kind of hoped for for a long time with Penny has come to fruition recently. And I mean, he's on our, our best ball team. So obviously I am rooting for him. I try and caution myself and Blair and column that, you know, it's Rashad Penny. We need not to be thinking that we're going to win because of a, a 25 point from 25 point game from him. And yet now he's put a couple together in the last month, the Seahawks offense still not necessarily leading them to victories, but there are some functional elements to it. I mean, is this going to be a guy where after a really rough start to his career and a bunch of injuries is one of these rare players who emerges and has, you know, maybe just as a small peak, but has this window now where he is an above average NFL running back.
2: Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I it, he's going to be a free agent after the year. I think, I mean, I'm excited for the guy that he's been able to stay healthy and put some stuff on tape and, and earn a second contract because I think that was probably in question to some degree or what that contract would look like. And he's done enough now, I think, to close this season. And hopefully that continues for his next couple of weeks. He can stay healthy and put up some big numbers. You know, it should help him get a decent enough or a, a little bit of an investment. Obviously, running back contracts aren't huge or anything, but a little bit of an investment from somebody, whether that's Seattle again or someone else. I think there's still potential in his future, but, you know, wherever he lands, he's not going to be relied on from a health perspective. And, and so you're going to have other options in those backfields, right? What, whatever backfield it is. And we're just going to have to, you know, hope that he stays healthy. And then, you know, for the, for the possibility that he could be really productive in the future, it's just going to come down to whether or not those opportunities present themselves in terms of the opportunity – freeing up around him potential other injuries or things like we know can happen. But I'm just happy for the guy that he stayed healthy enough to, to put up some numbers this year. And and I think we'll you know, certainly at this point be on another team and, and have a shot to earn some, some volume again in 2022. Now with Penny, he's another guy. It's kind of interesting. I mentioned the player
3: explorer. You can go in and look at what Detroit has done. It feels like this should be a situation where – if the Seahawks play all right, that, I mean, he could, you know, we talk about ceiling types of performances, the possibility of those, you know, could he come through and be actually one of these fantasy playoff league winners where we look back and maybe he won your league or he won these big tournaments. And this game with Detroit seems superficially like it's going to be very, very positive, but you look at the last five games, and Detroit has been both good and bad against the running backs, Specifically, three of the guys in the last five weeks who have been top performers were held down. David Montgomery only to 10.4, James Conner to nine, Cordero Patterson this last week, 8.3. A really dispiriting end to this amazing, well, I say end. If you had Patterson and he was a key part of your team, there's a decent chance you lost in the fantasy semis, didn't make it to the finals, but sort of a dispiriting week for the Patterson 0RB Cinderella story. But the Lions have been uh, kind of a a stealthy, you know, trick defense for running backs here. Uh, Are you concerned about this at all? What are your thoughts as you kind of look to this game and think about Penny as a potential championship week hammer?
2: I mean, I'm buying it. Like, I think to a certain extent, you just buy the efficiency. He hasn't run a ton of routes. He has been getting the green zone work, which is nice. I think you're you're playing him as sort of a rushing efficiency and touchdown upside type of guy on a team that's going to run the ball without a lot of receiving upside based on how they've used him the last four weeks. I mean, he hasn't had a a snapshot over 60%, even in his two huge games. It's been – his snapshots have been in the mid-50s. He's going to be a guy that leads the team in rushes, is, is what we we're seeing and have seen. He's had double-digit rushes for four straight weeks, but – um, you're going to need some rushing efficiency. I mean, you're you're not getting a ton of high value touches, but like you said, he's running hot right now. And I think there's an element of like you just trust the efficiency late in the season with some of these guys that um, they can just get hot and and run well. And and you know, it's I think it signals like Compton to to Ronald Jones right now, where you know we're not probably going to see a lot of receiving out of Jones either. But Jones probably has a little bit more touchdown upside in the Bucks offense, but you're talking about you know sort of betting on on rushing efficiency and I do think both of these guys have that that certainly that that 100 yard plus a touchdown potential where you're already in the mid-teens in terms of points. Hopefully you get a catcher two you know and, and get you know four to five receiving points added. That's amazing. If you can get that from these types of players, there's the potential like Penny had this week of no receptions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm sort of buying it. The, the Lions have had a good run deep, but the 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 Seahawks should be in this game enough, and you know they're going to run the ball. So uh, this is, you know, a key part of their offense right now, and I think you just ride that. And I really like these guys who can turn seven-yard runs into 15-yard runs. You get three or four of those
3: in the course of the game, and all of a sudden the player is well over 100, as Penny was in this one. You mentioned that the snap shares and the touch numbers. We know that we would like to have even more carries for him. We would like to have the absolute guarantee of those carries down by the goal line. When DJ Dallas scored a couple weeks ago, I think it was in a situation where Penny actually got banged up right before that, or he probably would have had that one as well. Uh, Alex Collins inactive this last week. I would guess it's, you know, leaning toward him being active next week, but, i would expect and you can get in trouble in these situations but that most of his touches would come out of dj dallas or at least most of the rushing touches and you know if penny can maintain the snap sure they just that he's had which he's been so good you would think that there would actually be room to grow it a little bit if you can keep the carry numbers in the areas he's already had yeah you need some things to go right in order to make sure you do get in close enough to get in the end zone but Seeing him do it at this level, I guess I
2: don't think there's a real threat that his workload decreases in Week 17. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I was trying to look at the last time Collins was active, because I don't think he – I mean, I think he was pretty clearly the number two to Penny. Oh, it was the Houston game. That's what I thought it was. That It was the game where Penny had his first big smash game, the two long touchdown runs. You know, Penny only had 16 – carries and Collins got seven and Dallas had a couple Yeah, I say only I mean 16 carries is plenty for for what we're kind of seeing out of him in terms of efficiency we're hoping to get 15 carries really and, and not not get nine or ten but yeah he had 16 Collins had seven I think Collins got a little banged up again in that game but if I recall I'm trying to pull it up right now but Penny was basically the lead he was he got the first couple carries on the first drive he got the carries in the second drive. It looks like Alex Collins started playing in the second quarter a little bit. So, um, I, I do think we're in a position right now where Penny is pretty clearly going to be the lead guy, even though we've seen some good things from Collins. It's also fair to point out as as much as Collins looked good in his first real start against Pittsburgh, he had a hundred yard game. He went a pretty long stretch this year, not rushing particularly efficiently. He had a you know four point four yards per carry against Jacksonville. That was his highest number for a a six-week stretch in, in the games after the Pittsburgh game. Uh, a few games where he had double-digit carries was under four yards a carry, not looking particularly explosive at times, though he did look very good in the Pittsburgh game earlier in the year. So, anyway, I, I think we are at a point where, like, the way Penny's running and the fact that Collins has missed a couple of weeks is going to be coming back, I just don't see it as a threat at all. I'm, I'm right there with you.
3: Yeah, and the only reason I bring it up is because the, the committee's – are a problem even if one guy is clearly better they're a problem if both players are good and week to week you never know exactly where you're going to get and and the Green Bay packers game really sort of reminded me of this a situation where you know they do get up you think that it would be great for their running backs aaron jones has a solid game but i mean ben it, this is frustrating right we have a week here with these two packers running backs where They combine for 101 rushing yards, but they don't get a rushing touchdown. They catch eight of their nine targets, but it doesn't really turn into a ton of fantasy points. The Packers are currently number 13 in total points to the running back position, but you just would like it to be even higher, right? Aaron Rodgers is third in the NFL in passing attempts inside the five yard line. Green Bay is the slowest team to the snap in the NFL, 29.2 seconds, you can find that in the NFL pace tool. Within a context like that, any given week, this committee can just be a huge headache for fantasy managers.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the deal in the head with the pace. They only ran 58 plays in this game. That really sort of limited what the backs could do. They did combine for the eight catches. We know the targets are going to be there. That's great. It was nice to see Dylan get three catches, even, you know, as the sort of the short side of the route split between him and Jones. Um, but yeah, I mean, we need this offense to get forced to. You know, to play a little faster. It, I mean, this is a weird game, and it was on Christmas. I was definitely watching it, but also spending a little time with family. But when I wrote it up in signals, I mean, I, the big thing that I took from it was that every time I looked at the screen, Baker Mayfield was throwing a pick or a turnover where they play that that didn't go down as a pick. And I look at Aaron Rodgers' line, and and he's super efficient, throws for three touchdowns. But if if the Browns are turning the ball over that much. And the backers were this efficient and did not turn the ball over. I mean, how did the Browns wind up with a chance to win this game on a field goal? Like, what did I miss in this game? Well, it was it was the opposite of what
3: you were talking about with the Bengals, where they just didn't go after it in the second half, and they let the Browns creep back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly right. And another team that, that that brings to mind for me is the Cowboys this week was so fun to see. I wrote about that in Signals as well, where they got out ahead. And they press their advantage, man. They like There are so many teams that you get up two scores, three scores early, you start running in the second quarter to just find some balance. Dak Prescott wound up throwing for uh, 330 yards and four touchdowns. 322 of those and all four touchdowns came in the first half. He threw 39 passes in this game. I believe it was 34 or 35 of them came in the first half. They just kept getting the ball because Washington couldn't do anything on offense. And the, and the Cowboys said, look, we have you – under our thumb right now, you cannot stop us when we're throwing the ball. And we're going to win this game in the first half. We're not going to just take a, you, you know, they, they had the defensive touchdown in the first quarter after they'd already scored twice. They're up 21-0 in the first quarter. But they said, look, uh, and look, Washington scores right after that. I'm looking at the game log here. They score early in the second. It's 21-7. A lot of teams maybe try to run the ball a little bit at that point. The Cowboys said, no, we're going to keep throwing the ball and we're going to keep scoring touchdowns. They score again on that drive. They score again on the next drive. And they score again on the next drive three more times in the second quarter. They go up 42-7 before half. And it really was them just throwing and throwing and throwing. And and Dak throwing for 300 yards in the first half that allowed that to happen. I mean, it it was really fun to see a couple of these teams show that pass-first mentality the way that it's so beneficial. Because – Every time teams are trying to throw a lot and it's not working, we see the gripes. We saw it with the, the Bills against the Bucks, where they didn't run to a running back in the whole first half. And everyone said, you know, live on Twitter, this is why they're losing. The Bills basically just continued to throw as much in the second half. They ran a little bit and they had some efficient runs because they had basically thrown the Bucks out of any kind of run defense. But continued to throw and came back all the way in that game and forced overtime. So, you know, some of those complaints didn't really carry over into the week because it wound up being a fantastic game. But anytime you see that a team that's throwing a lot and it's not working, you see that they gotta run the ball. They gotta establish run. the run. The broadcasters are talking about it, all those things, and that—that that is, you know, I—I—I I, I think that's silly. Like in that Bucks game, it was silly to say that they should have just been running into a really good run defense and, and giving up downs. That's the what teams that have lost to the Bucks have done wrong is not just continue to try to throw. But that's like a little bit more of a gray area. At least this is the 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 the, what the Cowboys did. Um, and what the Bengals did, it's its the clear side of this, where when we say the passing game is more efficient, teams need to be passing on early downs, they need to be pushing. It's when they actually start finding success, and then they start making these suboptimal calls and not letting their offense get into a rhythm and not putting their foot on throat on teams' throats and winning the game right now. like Put a team away. You have a team on their heels, and that's what the Cowboys did this week. It's what the Bengals did this week. It was fantastic to see.
3: It also gives you a chance to emphasize a player who isn't very good, but you need to get to quiet down, right? We have a a game here where Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper has 11 targets. He has 11 yards after the catch on those 11 targets. Now he does have the first half touchdown, which occurred kind of after an unfortunate series of events where the officials decided to stop paying attention and don't call a flagrant offensive pass interference, which would have, really changed how that drive turned out. And then we get what was a a borderline um, cheap shot, but a scary hit there that fortunately didn't cause problems with Dalton Schultz. Cooper does score. He does have a good fantasy day, but he's got a 50% air conversion ratio. Uh, He's now outside the top 50 in racer on the season Then following this 2019 bounce back campaign with the Cowboys, where he was number five at the position of fantasy points over expectation. I mean, he's just a role player, right? And a role player that, I mean, he's Amari Cooper, so you do want to keep him happy. But throwing so much allowed the Cowboys to kind of paper over the fact that one of the guys that they were trying to keep happy here really didn't do much in this game. Based on the volume that he had. Now, the passes were caught more or less in in many of these situations and they did keep the chains moving. But again, because passing plays are so much more effective than running plays, do you think we get a situation? And we're not necessarily rooting for this. We want to think that all of our receivers are more or less not rock the boat, you know, behind the scenes, working with the QBs, just you know, good teammates. But if they made the effort to get the ball to CeeDee Lamb, the way they obviously did to Amari Cooper in this game. Uh, Could we be looking at some some 40-point
2: T. Higgins-like games from Lamb in the future? Yes. Yes. I mean, Lamb is – I mean, pops off games when you watch him. He continues to make plays. He gets the five targets here. He goes for 66 yards. I mean, the efficiency is fantastic. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it, Sean, um, for, for why he hasn't been – more of a clear focal point for them because he's been so fantastic all season.
3: Well, then we're coming to the end of today's show, but I didn't think we do have to congratulate Chase Edmonds on his fantastic game. Uh, We're big James Connor fans. Connor has been great. He's been a touchdown scoring machine. He's been a one-handed catch machine. He's really reestablished himself as one of the NFL's better three down backs even though he doesn't have the straight line speed but this game offered a reminder of just how fate and luck plays such a big role in fantasy and you know why you do want to have exposure to some of these late running backs and you know we saw so much again this week we saw michelle these guys from the running back class several years ago that everybody thought You know, we're going to be stars and they just, they haven't been so many of them are struggling to even stick in the league, but they came back in week 16, this season played well, Penny, Rojo, Michelle, we've got plenty of these other late round guys too. And we tended to take the slight extra discount on Connor and the potential touchdown scoring ability of Connor, but so much of what's happened with the Cardinals is this is a, an offense that actually the committee works and both of these guys can score. But now we've seen very convincingly that when either back gets the game to himself, I mean, you're talking about high end running back one upside. And especially again, unfortunately for, for Rondell, Moore fans everywhere, especially when both of those guys are out and more is not siphoning off some of these, you know, behind the line of scrimmage targets, which is obviously a, a different conversation when Edmonds is out there by himself the workload is fantastic and unlike connor he does have the speed to create consistent big plays
2: he looked great yeah i mean he was huge in the in the passing game late i thought early on he didn't seem to have really sort of the this the same spark as earlier in the year i made a note so you're still on connor here you're like no, thing. well, in the first half, because he 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 came, they lost this game and, and they had to throw into the second half. And I thought he looked a lot better in the second half, but I made a note early in this game that with how good Connors looked, it it I mean, it just it was sort of flipped in my mind. Where early in the season, Edmonds looked so much more explosive than Connor. Connor actually looked a little bit slow to me at times early in the year, even though we had him, but it's like it was great they did score touchdowns. But then later in this year, he's Connor started to look a lot better, like the the the, the, the prime James Connor we saw in his best you know best year in Pittsburgh. Um, and so then Edmonds, you know, not necessarily looking fantastic running early in this game at times, at least I thought was interesting in that regard that Connor has seemed to be improving. But Edmonds did look a lot better down the stretch, like you said, it was a, a huge game for him. One of the things I've tracked in stealing signals. Is how there's just been a, a dearth of of high value touches. You know, I'm talking about the this stat all the time on the show. The receptions plus the green zone touches, the ceilings for high value touches for running backs this year have been a lot lower than the past couple of years. I, I look at a four-week rolling average every week, and the you know, each week the four-week rolling average has not really been that high compared to prior years, where you know, the really elite guys, the the Christian McCaffrey seasons, they can sometimes have double-digit high-value touches per game, but even just having like eight per game on average over like a a, a one month stretch. Usually you'd have a few guys that are doing that. And, And for most of the last couple of months in my, my column, as I'm looking at the four week rolling average, there hasn't been anybody over eight or, or more than maybe one or two guys at any given time. And you look at the team level and it's also true. It's been down over the last couple of years. This week was actually a great week for high-value touches. Uh, Chase Chase Edmonds had 10 because of the huge receiving work, and he got the goal line work, which he had uh, two green zone touches. It was only the second game all year he's had more than one. Uh, and, and the other time he did that, he also only had two. So it tied a season high of two. But that was great along with the eight receptions. It gives him 10 high-value touches. That was uh, a season high for him. Joe Mixon's 11 we talked about earlier on the show, season high. Dave Montgomery had a season high with 13. Devin Singletary, you mentioned, had eight in this game, uh, was a season high for him. My guy, Justin Jackson, we got the huge ceiling game out of him. He had nine high-value touches. So we got a bunch of these ceiling games. Even Rex Burkhead, he had seven, but that was a, a season high for him as well. Several of these sort of ceiling high-value touch games that, that really translate into to ceiling running back scoring weeks. It was fantastic to see this week just some of that running back ceiling back um, Edmonds Edmonds was a big part of that. The the receiving work was a big part of that. Them trailing and throwing 43 times and Edmonds getting the nine targets and eight catches. I mean, that's just fantastic.
3: Yeah, and those those receiving touches so so valuable, as you mentioned. This was the second highest score of his career in fantasy. The previous best was week seven of 2019, where he actually carried 27 times, gained 126 yards and three rushing scores which is about the opposite of what we saw here but does give a little bit of a hint that you know Edmonds has has been a guy who can carry the load at times with as impressive as he's been the last couple of years he probably deserves even a little bit more of a chance but Ben this is going to be a crazy week the fantasy finals this is what we've been pointing at all season Uh, we'll be back with a second show there'll be a lot more news between now and then I think that some of us are probably hoping, even though it seems silly and probably by the time this is released, it will no longer be a story. But if we could get uh, Philip Rivers in there for Carson Wentz, that would be kind of fun if you create some of those high-value touches that you talked about for Jonathan Taylor. The the Colts have kind of go, gone away from using Taylor in the passing game, but you put Phillip Rivers in there, you could get 15 targets to the running backs, no problem.
2: I mean, absolutely. He's been uh, a godsend for running back receiving for years. I mean, that's part of the reason the high-five touches are down. Him and Drew Brees leaving the league in the same same season really crushed uh, two offenses in terms of, and, and it, you know, it's obviously the Saints and, and the Colts last year, but the Saints and the Chargers prior, but whatever offenses those guys were more managing, that there was always so much ceiling for the running back receiving, but but, yeah, it's been a bummer, Taylor. No receptions the last three weeks. It's largely because they've given him 27-plus carries every week, right? They're just they're just running the ball every single time. <laughs> and They didn't do that as much this week. He got a couple targets at least, but we got to get him a few more catches because prior to this, these past three games, he was averaging three per game. It was a really nice part of his profile.
3: And even if Philip Rivers um, – doesn't play. Is there any chance he would come in and do a little tutorial for Carson Wentz on how you throw <laughs> a pass to a running back? Maybe not
2: like sp- <laughs> spike it off their hands from the, I mean, hopefully there was the one this week, one of his two targets where he was completely open in the flat and he's open in the flat a lot. And once just likes to get vertical, but he tried to throw it to him and is just incapable of throwing a catchable ball. <laughs> he threw it high and wide, like a, a bean ball from a pitcher. It was not uh Anywhere close to to being catchable.
3: It's like, come on, Carson. That's Jonathan Taylor. It's not James Conner. Not just everybody can make that reception. So, yeah, we're hoping for good health for all the players. We're hoping for good health for all of our listeners and their families. We hope you're enjoying your extended Christmas as we lead into the new year. This is one of the most fun times of the season. And we expect you'll be celebrating uh, as you're listening over the next – Couple of days. We'll be back with you. This is a great time for us to encourage you to subscribe to our, our various pieces of content. Ben has just released his final Stealing Signals articles of the year. He is the happiest person in fantasy today. Uh, he, I don't know if it came through on the show, but we chatted for an hour or so before recording, and giddy is the only word to describe what Ben has been like. He did include uh, some info about what the offseason plan will be for Stealing Signals in that. Make sure you check those out, subscribe to the newsletter. We're continuing our Christmas sale through the new year at Rotoviz, so you can subscribe at a discount there. We're also continuing our RV Radio discount, which you can get by using the coupon code Radio 2021 at checkout, so you'll get the double bonus there. We've also released the pre-orders for the Rotoviz Rookie Guide, which people have been really excited about over the last couple of years. We've been breaking sales records there. You get great stuff from Curtis and Travis, Dave, Blair. We'll have some other guys who feature in that as well. Closing in on Prospect Time, we got a bunch of bowl games this week. Uh, check out Travis's new article up on the site where he talks about the mock draft for rookies coming up here in 2022 i mean if there's one thing ben that's as fun as fantasy championships it's starting to talk about rookie drafts when you're doing your rookie draft you don't feel like every play could cost you the title although there are some situations where not being able to make that key trade does feel like it's going to cost you five fantasy championships over the next 10 years so some pressure in that as well but we're getting into that fun time of the season we love having you guys thank you so much if you want to drop us a rating and review or refresh your previous one, we always appreciate that subscribe to the feed and you'll get our shows as they come out with the ultra tempo over the next couple of months. We're pretty excited about what January and February has to hold for the show. As always, I'm Sean Siegel with me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at yards for Gretchen. Subscribe to his newsletter. You won't regret it. It's awesome. We'll talk to you guys soon.
5: MyPatriotSupply.com.